Today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. This is the Quick Start Podcast from CBN News, and I'm Billy Hollowell. Historic staffing shortages are leading police departments nationwide to get creative. We'll have that story and many more on today's podcast, News from a Christian Perspective. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Give us a rating, share it with a friend. And you know what? Send us your thoughts. You can email us at quickstartpodcast at cbn.org or head over to cbnnews.com slash quickstartpodcast. As always, I am joined by Trey Goins-Phillips today. How you doing, Trey? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm living the dream today, Um, Mm. but I'm really good. And I know that it's early, but it's never too early to start with a a nice cup of Diet Coke. No, no, (laughs) it's coffee. How many coffees (laughs) have you had? Let's flip this. Let's flip this around today. How many cups of coffee have you had? I'm boring, though. I just have one cup and it's a it's a K cup. So I'm not like a real coffee connoisseur. So you're a thinner is what you're saying. I'm a sugar connoisseur. So. I like like creamer, just really hot. It's just a hot cup, a hot cup, hot of, cup of sugar and cream. caramel coffee creamer is kind of what I do. Uh, and then there's just like a, a little helping of coffee thrown in. Um, well, that's depressing, but so, I'm glad you at least have some coffee. That's good. That is I good. At least um, I like the aesthetic of starting the morning with a nice cup of nice cup of coffee. I don't know why I feel the need to sound like I'm a New Yorker. From New York. But, um, oh my gosh. Well, on I'm today's sorry to show, the New Yorkers I've offended. On today's show, we do have more to offer than than coffee, believe it or not, than a <laughs> coffee discussion. We what's coming up on the uh on the focus story today, Trey? Yeah, so we're gonna talk about Jessa Duggar. Uh the Duggar family has been in in the news a lot recently. Obviously, Ginger Duggar has had she has a new book, and we'll have that for the for the main thing later. But this story, she Jessa had a miscarriage. And so many in the media are just jumping on that uh, uh, as an opportunity to promote abortion. Uh, Really kind of a cruel attack, I think, against Jessica. So we'll get into the details of that story. Yeah. And then on our main thing, we are actually going to be sitting down with Ginger Duggar. And, you know, as you said, star of 19 Kids and Counting, Counting On, everyone knows the Duggars. Uh, But we're going to be talking about her strict upbringing and how some of her views have changed over the years. Uh, But before we get to those stories, the news in 90 seconds. Recruiting and retention are two issues haunting police departments nationwide. Since 2020, a mass exodus of officers combined with record lows in new applicants has resulted in critical staffing shortages. Now, police departments are seeking to win back the public trust. They're also looking to retain veteran officers. And so they're getting creative with wooing new recruits. Specifically, they've got catchy videos, signing bonuses, and a whole bunch more going on right now as they try to fill those vacancies. But another thing that's going on is they're trying to, again, build trust, and they're doing that through transparency. So that's an interesting story. Uh, But that brings us to our second story here. Both sides of the abortion issue are waiting for a federal judge in Texas to rule on a lawsuit that could force the FDA to withdraw chemical abortion pills from the market. This case follows the FDA's decision to expand access to the two-part drug regimen, allowing doctors to prescribe it via telehealth appointments for women to receive the abortion-inducing pills through the mail. Now, the Texas lawsuit claims one of those drugs taken to induce abortion is not as safe as advertised and actually shouldn't have been receiving FDA approval back in the year 2000. 
And finally, three sex businesses have closed in North Central Ohio over the last two years. According to Frontlines Ohio, a woman named Donna Holbrook, who owned two of those strip clubs, told the outlet after she and her husband gave their lives to the Lord, their hearts changed. Now she's working in real estate, has sold the buildings where those businesses were, and she also volunteers with a local ministry to help victims of sex trafficking in the Mansfield area. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at cbnnews.com. So that brings us to our focus story. Jessa Duggar is making headlines after suffering a miscarriage. Trey, what's going on? Okay, so last, this actually happened a, a, a couple months ago, um, or a few months ago now, but she just opened up about this recently in about a 20-minute YouTube video. Uh, Jessa Duggar, she has a, a video blog, and she acknowledged going through a miscarriage that she and her husband suffered through a miscarriage, which so many people recently, I think have been more honest and transparent about that difficulty. Uh, So she is very emotional uh, in detailing what she and her husband went through. Uh, She called it a heartbreak uh, having to to go through that, particularly during the Christmas season is, is when they found out um, that their, their unborn baby had passed away, that it was not a viable uh, pregnancy. So, and she had to go through a DNC, a dilation and curatage uh, to clear out her uterus. And she talked about some of that and that being traumatic and that being a difficult process to go through uh, as someone who's pro-life, of course, and wanted to to welcome another another child into their their family and they weren't able to do that. So that's obviously as traumatic on a number of different levels. Uh, but then to add insult to injury, the media just jumped on this as an opportunity, I think, to to just, it seemed for no other reason than to vilify um, a, a pro-life person who's a believer uh, and, of course, has issues with abortion. So several outlets ran headlines that were really mischaracterizing Jessa and her husband Ben's story. Uh, Jezebel, a left-leaning blog, they ran a story with the headline, uh, Jessa Duggar Seawald, that's her, her married name, had an abortion even if she won't say the word. And then Parade Magazine published a story with the title, Jessa Duggar Reveals She Had a Life-Saving Abortion in an Emotional New Video. Now, I know we've gone through a lot, but I just want to, for people who might not know, so a DNC is sometimes used for abortion. Um, but in this case, for people who have miscarriages, particularly people who have missed miscarriages, uh, which is what Jessa had, which is when uh, the body doesn't realize that the unborn baby has passed away. So her body was still going through the motions of pregnancy, and she needed to have something to clear out her uterus um, so that her body would recognize, oh, okay, this is not a viable pregnancy, and her body would stop the process uh, of trying to develop this child because it can cause significant complications for her. Uh, There are serious health risks uh, for her life uh, if she didn't have this DNC. So obviously, this is not an abortion. The baby had unfortunately already passed away. But again, the media, it seems, has jumped on the opportunity to accuse her of having an abortion, even though that's obviously not at all what she had. So this story is particularly horrific, and we'll get into the a conversation about it you know, in a moment here because I want to dig deeper on it. But before I give some of my views on it, how, how is she responding to this? Yeah, so she actually opened up pretty pretty clearly in an Instagram story just going after 
people who had mischaracterized her story because I mean, I can't imagine when you're already suffering and processing through that loss to then have media outlets who are mischaracterizing you and saying that she had an abortion, which is goes against everything she believes. So she did post a brief statement on her Instagram story. She said, my baby's heart had stopped beating three weeks before I had the DNC. She said, by the way, this is not my first DNC. It was my second. My first was two weeks postpartum Ivy's birth, her first daughter uh, for retained placenta. Uh, She went on to explain that those in the media that called her DNC an abortion are just flat out lying, essentially. She said it's not akin at all to an abortion. Uh, She wrote, each person is created in the image of God, and to purposefully destroy a baby in the womb is an affront to the God who created that life. There's a world of difference between someone dying and someone being killed. She went on to write, to equate one to the other and to a mother grieving the loss of her baby, no less, is severely distasteful. There is a world of difference between a mortician and a murderer. Even a child understands the difference between the two. What do you think? I mean, those are those are some stirring words. But what do you think this says about our culture, where we are right now, that this is what we're doing with people's tragedy? Yeah, I think it's it's heartbreaking, like Jessa said about her miscarriage. But again, it's even more heartbreaking or, or maybe heartbreaking in a, a sinister way that that shouldn't be shouldn't be a reality that people are using this as an opportunity to politicize to bandwagon to to profit in some way uh morally for their for their point i think social media has a lot to do do with this we've turned people into nothing more than avatars that are issues with which we can disagree and bicker and fight and demonize and it happens on both sides but it seems more often than not when it comes to the issue of abortion the left is so dismissive or people who are pro abortion i should say are so dismissive of these individuals who are being really transparent and vulnerable and sharing their hearts and, and and letting people into their experiences, if for no other reason than to provide comfort to people who aren't comfortable sharing their story or who don't have a platform. So I, I it's unfortunate that we're at this place where we're willing to demonize somebody else, um, I guess, to make ourselves feel better about the choices that we're making in our life. Well, that's exactly what this is. It's a lie. We're, we're telling right. lies and we're doing it to make our, and when I say us, ourselves, people on the pro-choice side, they're, they're telling a lie that is really not only diabolical, but it takes somebody else's tragedy and manipulates it all for the selfish sake of just feeling good about abortion and lying about what it is and pretending that it's not the taking of a life. I mean, when I look at this, I'm thinking to myself, have we so suspended our moral judgment that we can't see the difference. It's as though somebody's suffering. I mean, a miscarriage is a loss. When you lose a baby like that, you're suffering because it was a life, right? This was a life that is now gone. It's a heartbeat that is now stopped. And yet what these people are doing is they're, they're calling it an abortion because what do they do in abortion? They pretend that it had no meaning, that it wasn't a life, right? They're almost removing that purpose to that life. And, and I just, I don't know. I could go on about it. I just think it's really a pretty gross. Well, and I think a a sad, dark irony in this is that so often the pro-abortion side will act as if they're compassionate. Like their, their view uh, is, is one of compassion toward women who are caught in a situation with an unwanted or unplanned pregnancy. Uh, But where's the compassion for Jessa? Like there, there's no acknowledgement 
of loss. And here's the thing, whether you agree that it was a life or not, obviously as Christians, and even as somebody who's willing to just look at the science plainly, we know that it was a life. Uh, But even if you're not willing to acknowledge that, Jessa Duggar and her husband, Ben, they believed that it was a life and they were, you know, confident that it was a human life and were eager to welcome that child into their lives. So to, to at least pause and recognize whether she wanted this or not, she's dealing with a loss uh, in her life. Um, It's just, it's so tragic. I think that like you were saying that we're unwilling to at least pause for five minutes uh, and say, this is another person who's grieving. And instead of doing that, we see people kicking her while she's down, which is just, it's heartbreaking that, that, that we're willing to do that to another human being uh, who, by the way, is made in the image of God, just like the people who disagree with her. Um, instead like the unborn of, babies who are thrown, who are, who are thrown yes. away. Right. Yeah. I, I just think, I think it's really a sad turn in this abortion discussion yeah. that we have to take miscarriage and, and, and try to diminish it and make it something that it isn't in order to win a political discussion or debate that to me I mean, millions of people know the pain of miscarriage and understand the pain of, I know the pain of it, my family does. So so to to just see that happening, and for a public figure who, you know, let, let's be honest, this family's been through quite a, a bit of media scrutiny in the last couple of years. So um, who knows how much of that plays into the decision to trump this story up. Uh, but I appreciate you bringing it to us, Trey. And you and I actually had a chance for our main thing to sit down with her sister, Ginger uh, Duggar, to talk about, you know, obviously her history, the family's strict upbringing, her new book, and some of her views that have changed over the years. And so with no further ado, here is today's main thing. So let's dive right into your memoir, your book. What made you want to write this book right now? Mm. I grew up in a system that was based on man-made rules. I followed a teacher who um, taught a lot of things that were outside of the Bible, but I thought that he was teaching the word of God to me. And it was interesting. Um, It's been quite the journey. I shared publicly about these teachings, promoted them most of my life. And I, it wasn't until I stopped and examined these teachings according to the Bible. And I saw they just didn't line up. And I realized at that time that I had a lot that I needed to work through and disentangle truth from error. So that's what this story is about. And why now is just because I feel a responsibility to share. And all those years, six years of working through this, um, I just see how needful it is. And I'm also at a much better place to be able to talk about it because it's very difficult to speak about sometimes. You know, something, Ginger, that I think is so fascinating and even kind of countercultural about your experience is you've written this book and it's critical of a lot of your upbringing and a lot of the, the legalistic rituals that were in place, but you're somebody who hasn't walked away from faith either. Uh, you still believe in God despite having had that bad theology that, that maybe was attached to faith. Tell us a little bit about how you've clung to faith in the midst of processing and getting rid of some of the bad stuff that was surrounding it. Mm. Yeah, that's something that sadly in today's uh, world, we see so many people who are deconstructing and they are tearing their faith down to the studs, never to build it up again. And a lot of those people have been harmed within the church, harmed by a teacher who claims to speak for God, but doesn't. And that's something that really 
um, it's so sad to see. And they think that's the only answer that I have to go that route. But my story by God's grace has been one of disentangling truth from error. So it, I use this um, analogy, like if you get putty stuck in your hair, you can totally just cut your hair off or you can take the time to slowly pick out the putty, keep your hair. And it's kind of, it's, it's also like a difficult process. It's painful at times. It's tough to do, but it's so worth it in the end. And that's what I've done with the theology that I was raised in that was very harmful, damaging, superstitious, fear-based, um, and just not biblical. And so whenever I've compared those teachings to the word of God, they just can't stand up for themselves. It just falls apart and that all falls off when you see it's not based in scripture. Yeah, and I know it's painful. I just want to underscore the fact, and I can't speak for you, but I could imagine it's incredibly painful to people you love, your family, right, to be speaking out on what you believe to be true and know to be true when it sort of conflicts with their worldview and the way they brought you up and and to do it publicly, right? You talked about feeling that responsibility, uh, but that is not an easy thing to do, especially when they're going to see these things, read potentially read the book. How have you balanced that? Because that's a, that's a really tough thing, knowing they might see it, um, but feeling that responsibility to speak it. Right. Yeah. That's what I first took into consideration when I thought about writing this book, because it's interesting being in the public eye, being in that space. Um, I know that things can get twisted and narratives can get written about why behind it. And I, um, from the beginning, I've sought to like share some differences with family and say, this is why I don't see this in the Bible. And so we've had some of those conversations throughout the years and at the same time, I realized I wrote a book back in 2012 with some of my sisters, which highlighted a lot of these principles, Bill Gothard's principles, that is. And um, he would say like, oh, if you keep these seven basic principles, your life will be a success. If you don't, it'll be one disaster after another. So I would like promote all of that for years. And so the responsibility side comes from all of those years of sharing this, saying this is how you're going to please God is by doing all of these man-made rules and it's just not the case. So with with the family side of it, with trying to balance all of that, I've sought to do it by God's grace, hopefully in a winsome way, thinking how would this message be received by those inside this community? I'm going to speak out very strongly against the teachings of Bill Gothard because he has very publicly taught this stuff. And at the same time, I understand that um even me being in the setting I was, I had a sweet childhood, um, even though I wrestled so hard with fear and all of this, I can see uh, both sides and I can see how um, I can come away not bitter, not angry that I was raised in something like that, but I can see, okay, I can see how other people have that perspective, but I, I, I have to speak out on truth. It's the most loving thing to do. And I hope that anyone inside that community, family, friends could see um, that it's just a matter of the authority of scripture speaking for itself and us not following a man and saying that his words are more important than the words of God. 
You know, in a recent interview, you said that Bill Gothard and, and some of those teachings that surround his his theology, for lack of a better word, has some cult-like characteristics to it. Uh, for people who might not be familiar with who Bill Gothard is or, or might just think, you're exaggerating, that's not actually true, because I grew up watching the show. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's a lot going on that you, you don't see behind the scenes. So could you tell us a little bit about what, what maybe you mean by, by cult-like characteristics? Yeah. Bill Gothard came on the scene in the 60s and 70s, 70s promising families um, a guarantee for success for their families. So he would uh, say, it's going to protect your family from the sexual revolution, from you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and your kids will turn out well. They're all going to love Jesus. They're going to be protected from harm. And so that was the promise of guarantee for families. So that's why so many got into it. In my family, at the very early years of my parents' marriage, um, entered ATI, IBLP, started attending conferences. And so that's all I ever knew. And it's interesting because you can, you can see that and say, okay, well, people on the show would see maybe good morals, which some of those things are, it was a wholesome show. We had a lot of opportunity to like give wholesome TV. And at the same time you see, man, there are damaging sides to this theology because it is, I would say, cult-like in nature. I won't go as far to say it is a cult because leave that to the experts, but it's, it's interesting. It has a lot of those tendencies because the community is so tight knit. And I think it's tough to leave because Bill Gothard would put so much fear and superstition upon you wrapped up in the words of God. And so it, it's tough to leave that community because he would say, if you heard these teachings, it would have been better for you not to hear it than to hear it and to depart from it, like you're going to have greater judgment and you're going to have greater destruction come upon you because you knew these teachings and left it. So even for me, whenever I first began to realize, oh, these teachings are not grounded in the word of God, um, my husband, now husband, we were just talking and he had to listen to 60 plus hours of these teachings to be able to um, move forward in his relationship with me. And that was probably one of the best things that could have happened because up to that point, I kind of thought, okay, Bill Gothard's teachings are Bible, but my husband, he started listening to some seminars and he was like, let's pause this. Wait, did you hear what he said? Compare that with the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does it actually say? And that was what was so helpful for me was just taking out my Bible and <laughs> comparing it and seeing, wow, this is not only not in the word of God, but this is very twisted and it's harmful because he would often like he would tell stories and he told one story of someone who, before you come to Christ, he said, you need to clean up this mess because you can't bring this mess to Jesus. So do my three steps and then come to Jesus. And it's like, how would I ever think that was okay? I'm not sure. But like once I, I kind of like it was like an aha moment almost, but God just opened my eyes to see that this was wrong and not based in scripture. And then from there, it was just walking out of those teachings because the more I would examine it with the Bible, it would just fall off. 
Yeah, the key there, and I think it's really interesting because you've said this a number of times, you know, about going back to the Bible, whether we're talking about very, very, very progressive theology or, you know, Mm -hmm. traditional theology, we should always be checking what we believe and the communities that we're in and what they're teaching us against what scripture says, right? Yes. Um, And that's what you did. And that's the thing. I think part of it is if you're in a setting where they say, don't question this, then it it should at the end of the day anyone you should be able to question anything and it stand up against the word of god because god's word is true and it will come out as truth and so if somebody's saying this is in the bible but you you aren't really questioning it you need to examine it examine it according to the bible with an open bible and say okay is what you're teaching me true um and so yeah that's that's something that i guess up to that point i i had thought I had done that, but I really hadn't. That was Ginger Duggar and a really, really interesting conversation. A lot to ponder there about faith, theology, and life and what we teach our kids and, and what we walk away from and how we and how we deal with conflict even in our own families. Now that brings us to one last thing and it's James 317. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And man, that is a convicting one because those are all of the attributes that we should have when we're getting wisdom from the Lord. And just as you're going through those different characteristics and qualities, I just thought, wow, how counter they are to everything that our society upholds and and the things that our society values. So uh, the, the King James Version, I can't remember the, the exact reference. I'm awful at, at remembering references, but talks about how we're supposed to be a peculiar people uh, in this day and age. And I think what, what a great uh, reminder that we should look so, so different from the rest of the world, not isolating, but living in the world and being a light uh, for, for Christ. So great reminder there. Absolutely. Lots to ponder there, a lot to think about. And that is all we have for the show today. If you want to be getting great Christian perspectives to the news, you want to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating. Again, I gave you the email address at the top, but I'll give it to you again. It's quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Send us an email and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platforms again, but also to the CBN Quick Start email newsletter, uh, which you could find over on our website. And Lord willing and the creek don't rise, we'll see you back here tomorrow.